So I want you, just by preparation, just to prepare you, as there's questions that pop up in your mind, keep them, maybe write them down. Uh, so later, Pums and I, we're going to be having a sort of a, a conversation, really, around uh, the different expectations we have around relationships. And as we have the conversation, we're expecting that something will be brewing in you, and you get to join in the conversation. Tom will run around with the mic and wait for you to actually ask your, your question. So we really want to make this as interactive as possible. Remember, this is to serve you and for you to be able to take away some of this stuff and apply them in your life. The idea is actually we want the gospel to really permeate in this area of life as well. So can I ask us, let's pray, and then we'll jump right in together. Yeah, Lord, we, we are so thankful that it is by design that you made us to uh, fit in within like this intricate and complex nature, network of relationships, my God, in our lives. Uh, and at times, Father Lord, we struggle to try to figure them out. But I pray, my God, that today you would help us kind of see uh, a high view of relationships uh, and particularly to get today for us to be able to focus on this area of family. What is it that you intended with it? Uh, how did you design it to be? How did you want it to work, my God? And I pray, Father Lord, that as we look through the scriptures, we begin to see these threads uh, being un 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 undone, Father Lord, so that we are able to see clearly uh, to what you were intending. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. So what is family? I think it's just always good to ask the question, what, what is family? I don't have a dictionary definition, and I will not read one, but I'll just say two things come to mind for me. It's number one, constitution, what constitutes family. So I'll think mother, father, brother, sister, uncles, aunts, uh, granddad, you know. Uh, some of us actually would have steps uh, and other, otherwise uh, adopted families. So there's, there's quite, quite a lot uh, that we think about when we think the word family, right? Furthermore, maybe like this philosophical construct or so societal construct that relates to uh, the way in which we relate to different people, right? That could be one of the ways you get to this answer of family. But what I want us to do uh, this morning, I want us to have a bit of fun with the Bible. I, I want us to uh, strip away kind of our experiences for a moment, and then begin to dive into what Scripture has to say. And then imagine this world that God is painting a picture of at the beginning. So I want to read a bunch of Scriptures. Uh, they're going to come up. And then we're going to pick them apart to look for this imaginative world right now that actually God is painting a picture of. So let's start with Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, in his own image, actually. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Genesis 2 goes on to say in verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became 
a living creature. So Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are retelling the same story in different ways. Genesis 2 giving a bit more detail. Genesis 1 giving us a bit more of a general feel of what God had done. And Genesis 2 verse 18 says, Then the Lord said, all of a sudden, after all this amazing stuff, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And then Genesis 20, uh, the solution to the problem is, Then the man gave names to the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his pl this, its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Hey, <laughs> she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Verse 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Men. So that's quite a lot to go through. But at the same time, this is scriptures that we've probably heard over and over and over again. But I just want to really spend some time kind of delving kind of into a few of those spaces and begin to ask, what's the purpose of all of this that's happened? And how does that build for us family, right? How does that build for us family? And how did God come up with this concept even? If I go back to Genesis 1 again, there's, that, there's this, again, the, the source of family, I would say. The source of family uh, comes from Genesis 1. It's this idea that actually God himself, again, whenever we think God, I think one of the things that's just immediately comes to us is we're thinking about one figure by himself uh, doing something. But the, the funny language there is let us make man. And I mean, there's multiple theories out there of, no, maybe God was talking to the angels or maybe God was... Who's God talking to? And really, we believe in something called the Trinity, which means God in himself is a community already. God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. And beyond that, God himself is a loving, perfect, harmonious community within himself. And so God is not creating humans to, to kind of fulfill that gap or that void in himself. God is replicating. That's why I create man in my own image, right? He is replicating what he is already. So imagine that. You and I created to replicate something of God himself. That's, that's beautiful. So all of a sudden we understand why it was not good for man to be alone. If God is not alone and I'm supposed to image God, I cannot be alone. I cannot be alone. So community is birthed out of God himself. So the idea of family, of being fam, is, is God's idea. It's something that God in himself embodies, right, and embraces. And then he seeds it in us as he makes us. So 
Every time I think about this, I'm like, wow, I'm a lot more than what I make myself out to be. Actually, God imagined me to represent something of himself in a grander scale than just myself. That actually my relation to somebody else makes that person whole as much as their relation to me does. Because then together we are able to image something of God. So this speaks largely into the identity of us as people. You and I, whenever we think about family, we should always think about the identity that we have in God, is that actually we are image bearers of God. And what that means is we become community because He is community. Family is also, again, if God is in a loving, harmonious relationship, that means family must have something of love. You cannot have family without love being part of that thing. So that's one other thing. And then we look at the scriptures again. I always love this idea that actually, that God did something. He did something of creation, so he created something. But then as he creates us, he also puts something of a creative nature in us. So at one point, it speaks about how God supplanted Adam into a garden for him to work it. For him to actually, within creation, begin to be creative in terms of keeping that creation up. So it's not just that you and I are representing God by just standing next to each other because we're a community and there's some kind of love. But it's actually, there's an action. There's a, something that we are partaking in that symbolizes something of God himself partaking in creating everything that is. So family is something that should always be on a mission. Some kind of mission. We must have something at hand that we are trying to achieve. And in the case of Adam and Eve, we see that they have much to achieve. The first is what is a blessing to them, which is uh, creating other Adams and Eves. So they are called to actually multi multiply. In fact, it's called a blessing in Genesis. They say God blessed them so that they would replicate. They, they would do something of God. Remember what did God do? He imaged himself. So we get to do something similar. We get to birth children because God does the same, right? So we, we find these kind of similarities between us and God continually whenever we dig into this truth. And so the other aspect that I love is not just the work of multiplying by, as you can see, Nolufefe and Nganyu, so three, one, two, three, but past that, the mission goes beyond that. It, it, it goes to, towards not, not them only being family and loving one another and then producing more offspring, but it goes to actually causing all of these people in the family to flourish. But how they flourish is actually what they do, the activity they partake in. God had given them the earth to cultivate. He had given them the animals uh, to, to rule over. He had given them everything of nature for them to keep and to help sustain what God has created. So God is partnering with them because God created and He's the one who holds all things together. But God calls them to come alongside Him and do the same. And that works itself out in different ways. In this room alone, we have a plethora of professions and part of the work that we, that we do is exactly that. Is that actually God 
in his genius allowed you and I to have minds that expand beyond planting seeds and growing gardens. Very important because we won't eat if none of those exist. But actually, it expands beyond that. So don't hear me saying, guys, all we should do is gardens. I know Mbongileni will love me if I said that. But that's not all we are made for. We are made for a lot more. So there's this idea of being that, the identity that we, we, we grab from God. Then there's the second thing. There's this. That, is, that shouldn't be there. Uh, <laughs> the second thing is um, our, our mission, like the thing that we partaking in with God. Uh, and then the third thing that we have is, I, I called it our nature, and we need to kind of speak into it as well. Uh, I love that actually uh, in Genesis 2, he speaks about we are made from dust, and then he breathed the breath of life in us. It's, it's something so beautiful, because you could, you could kind of dwell on the dust and think, shucks, yeah, like actually in comparison to the one who is molding this dust, I am nothing but dust. But then he takes it a step further and he breathes life into us. Like that, that should cause us to be like amazed that actually we are animated by the very breath of life breathed from, the, from God's, from God's uh, own, own mouth into our nostrils and it animates us. But in our nature, it's not just that. It's also the fact that he made us diverse. He, he made us male and female. He didn't just make... I think the world would be boring if I hung out with Tom all the time. I like him, but he's an introvert as well. So I'd spend the whole time talking and him listening, and then him sleeping while I'm talking by myself, and then he wakes up, and I wonder... Did you even hear anything that I said? That would be boring. I'm glad that I have Khale, who talks more than me in our relationship. Uh, So there's someone who reciprocates. (laughs) Whenever I say that, people are shocked. I don't know why. I don't know why. But it's true. But the thing is, Khale is much like Tom in the sense. She's an introvert. Some of you know her to be. But she's something different. Firstly, she's far more beautiful than Tom could ever hope to be. <laughs> and at last, and, I, and I, through Khale, I understand something that Adam was saying. At last, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Come on. And we, we, we should get lost in this idea that actually God created man and woman to be the representatives of his own diverse nature. So man and woman anywhere and everywhere are meant to show you something of a difference to yourself to show the diversity and the expanded sense of knowledge and creativity and beauty of God, Right? That's beautiful. That's beautiful to see. So sometimes I know in this world we do this, we rub against each other because you're not like me. And if you were a lot like me, then maybe everything would be better. But actually that's not of God. 
So if you feel like this is not working, it's not because this is not working, it's because you are not working. You, you are not working in the way that you are intended to be. How we relate with one another should not cause that kind of reflection. We'll talk a bit more about the brokenness that's come into the world that has led us to this later. But really, the idea here is actually whatever picture that God is painting for us is what was meant and is what we should aspire to. So, what does this all mean for us? I mean, I'll talk about marriage at some point, but we're not going to deal particularly with marriage. We're going to deal with what, how God kind of composes what we call family. God composes what we call family by firstly, as we said, replicating something of himself. It's his idea. It's his nature. Family is not a social, a mere social construct. Now, there's variations of what we call family, and that may be a social construct as we live amongst each other. But family within itself is something of God. Right? So that's what we should, we should know. Now, the question is, what does family constitute of? Well, we're told that it's male and female. It's a man and a woman coming together in matrimonious harmony that's meant to show and express something of the love of God within himself as a loving community, eternal community, that we become <laughs> a picture of that. It's no wonder that God says about humanity that we showcase his glory, that he wants the whole earth to, fill, to be filled with his glory. That's the cry from the psalmist, right? But how does he do that? He does that by filling the earth with men and women. Men and women who are in a relationship that symbolizes something of God. And then through that love, check this, this is another one that hit me. Is this, because God is in a loving community, out of his overflow of resources and immeasurable greatness, but also out of his overflow of love, there's something of, a, of creation or of a birthing of something new. Guess what happens when a man and a woman who are in love come together happens? We make babies. We make babies. And that's something of God as well, right? It's this, guys, I don't know. Like, I'm amazed by the fact that actually we are so alike to God. And, uh, like, it, it just moves me every time I think about, about that reality. Now, can I, can I be problematic for a bit around this idea of babies? In a world like ours, broken as it is, Sometimes it's just hard to stomach the idea of union between a man and a woman and the making of babies. For instance, I've heard a, a, few, a few times, even on social media, or, uh, a particular lady friend of mine who is so opposed to men, part of it is actually because of the hurt that she's experienced in, the, in, in her past. And that stuff does happen and it does scar us. And as a result, her stance is, I just don't want to have babies. And I, I don't ever want to bring anyone to this cruel world. My problem with that is, when I read the, the book of Genesis, what she kind of disregards and wants to lay aside 
is what's called a blessing. And at the same time, this same blessing, it's a blessing to us, but actually it's a way of giving God glory as well. Are you seeing how those two are tied? That actually God's glory in creating humanity kind of brings us a blessing as we multiply, but as we multiply, more of God's glory is filling the earth. So God's glory and our flourishing is actually intertwined. But as soon as we decide, okay, I've, I want to stop this. I'm, I'm not going to partake in this. My question is, with, with all validation of how she feels and the hurt that she's experienced, is the problem the system that God has created? Or is the problem the brokenness that she's experiencing? Is the problem really having children or is the problem something else? And so I feel like every time we read Scripture and we see something that is not directly linked to what our experiences are, our first question shouldn't be whether the Scriptures are right or wrong. Our first question should be whether we are right or whether we are wrong, or whether we are right or wrong. Because the problem with this is actually we can forfeit the blessing by virtue of the brokenness that we experience. But I don't want by no means to disregard the brokenness. And as I said, like, we're going to have a bit more of a chat with Pums later about kind of the differences in which we experience this. It won't be exhaustive, but it will be some aspects of this stuff. Now, multiplication and kind of flourishing, I think sometimes we can just read it in the light way where it's like, Okay, it's just babies. Now that we're done with babies, cool, move us along to the next thing. But I think God intended for something far more when it comes to flourishing. The causing of flourishing, if, you, if you've read Genesis 2, you realize that, it, again, God even instructs them what the animals should eat. It's like, why is he telling them that? The animals should just go eat. Like. But he's telling them that because God wants them to care about every aspect of, of society. So flourishing and multiplication is about multiplying God's goodness on the earth. It's not merely about us producing ourselves. So maybe let me give you an example. A teacher like Tom, uh, uh, what do you guys call it? Pedagogy. <laughs> that expression. But the, the idea is actually there would be somebody who's passing on something of what it looks like to be a, a member of society that contributes in a positive and, and causing others to flourish. But Tom is actually doing something of replicating himself in those kids by doing what he's doing. And if Tom is a really good teacher and one who's learned lessons in life that actually cause others to flourish, he'll, he'll actually produce kids in his class that do that. So multiplication is not about whether you have kids or not. It's about how you cause others that you rub shoulders with, that you interact with in the earth to outwork the goodness of God through themselves to others. Are you seeing that? So let's not limit what God is actually saying and doing. It's funny because actually the first few chapters of, of, of the Bible, one to three, is just this beautiful picture painted and the rest is ruined simply because we're not paying attention to the first three. 
So let's go back to Genesis again and not just look at it like simply. Let's look at it as in its complex and dense nature that's supposed to be outworked into this amazing picture of humanity. The other thing that I thought about is actually this unity between a man and a woman is illustrative of the kind of love relationships that we're supposed to have. They're supposed to be diverse in nature. God uses man and woman, but actually, as I said, Tom and I are very different as well. In fact, my relationship with Khale has taught me how to deal with introverts. So now I can cause Tom, Tom to flourish, although I don't like sitting and talking by myself. He listens to me sometimes. <laughs> and in those opportunities, I get to shape him, and he gets to do the same. You see it. So actually, there's, there's, there's a sense in which every aspect of this, the, the promise that we see in Genesis, can be fulfilled. Like even the desire for, for more, the desire for, for, having, um, for, for having success and prosper, that all of those things actually happen within these principles. It's actually God has put us in a place to cultivate relationships through those relationships to cause each other to flourish and then causing each other to flourish to cause nature and creation to flourish and then that we, we enjoy the blessings and the overflowing reciprocity of doing that with nature. So that's the picture painted of what men and women ought to do. But as I said, family, as described here, is male, female, and offspring. Male, female, and offspring. But what about Umalume? <laughs> what about Umamgani? What about Babumkul? Where, where do they fit in in this? Uh, one of the pleasures I get is to be married to an uh, up-and-coming up medic, and she's obsessed with genograms. Oh. She's obsessed with genograms, guys. So that means you're always seeing those bubbles, like, oh, this is mother, this is father, this is how they link up. And every time without a fail, there's a man and there's a woman and there's a child and then they are a mother and a father and then there's another child. So the pattern of God still, still working, still functioning. It's not lost in us. And then umkulu no auntie just fit within the same. So God is creating these networks, as I said, pockets of two plus however many, two plus however many, and these are what we call extended families. So you do fit in. So don't feel like if your family doesn't look like Babdamini, Babdaminis, should I be calling you Babdamini? If I'm to take us into the reality of our experience, is that many of us could raise our hands and say, shucks, my family doesn't look like that. It's not the perfect genogram. My, my family kind of is mapped in different ways. But I want to say that actually that doesn't disqualify us of enjoying and embracing what God intended in his creation for us. 
So the broken family comes in different ways and it, and, it, and, it, and it expresses itself in different ways. It's a different beast and animal. Okay, thank you. It's a, beast, it's a different beast and animal depending on where you come from. And I think that's the hard thing about living in this reality is that actually so much of, of the Bible in itself, as I said, first three chapters, like it's sparkling, we're drinking, you know, grape juice, because we're, I don't know, I don't know what Adam and Eve were doing, they were eating fruit and stuff. But I, I wanted that life, right? But that's not the life that I often experience. And so God's design and intent is actually broken in this life. But you and I don't have to be robbed of it. Because although the rest of the Bible tells the story of how our families are outworking themselves out in a broken pattern, there is a moment in time where this changes. So although we've talked about the birth of the family as God would want it, the extended family as God designed it to be, and we, we are acknowledging that you and I don't actually live within the full reality of that, there is one other aspect of family that God kind of speaks about in the Bible. And that is the family of God. That is the family of God. And you and I in this room actually begin to experience some of that. But <laughs> this family is not brought up, up about by ourselves. It's brought about by a man. It's brought about by this man who was actually not merely a man created in our own lineage, but it was the very man who at the beginning said, let us. The one who created an image of himself dared to step into that image and begin to show us what it looks like to truly live as he intended for us to. I love how often when we preach about Jesus and his encounters with women, we'll always say, look at how redeeming Jesus is when he speaks to women. Is because actually we don't ever we don't often see a pattern of men dealing with women rightly. So that's why it surprises us. So that's why Jesus, God Himself, had to enter into our reality to really show us and break break us free of that. And so Romans 8, 16 to 17 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, and if heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That last bit for me is what hits me, is that Jesus suffered. And part of his suffering is actually suffering what he did not intend to create. He, he was born in such an imperfect world that he did not intend to make. He was born into an imperfect family. He, 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 he was... At some point in Matthew 12, it speaks about him addressing people and then his mothers and brothers stood outside looking for him. And he says, guys, like, who's my mother? Who's my father? And part of it is not because he was rejecting them, but he was actually speaking about how they, the, his parents and his brothers at the time, just didn't understand what he was doing. He was stepping outside of his family for, for blood relative family for a moment to embrace something of a corrective measure of family that he was doing. And so he points to everyone around him and says, you guys are my family. 
So that's why Romans, when it speaks about us as heirs and co-heirs with Christ, is calling us into this place where, provided we understand the suffering of Jesus Christ, provided that you and I are willing to endure this process of change, because we are all what we're not supposed to be. But Jesus is making us what we are supposed to be. He, he is beginning to transform us from the broken picture of family into a renewed picture of family. And my friends, I, I don't want to lie to you. He's only doing it one way and one way only. He's doing it to the church. He's chosen that the church would be the way in which the, the family of God would be, uh, be depicted. And as he's renewing us, the world is seeing and the world is being transformed by us. Are you seeing that? So if we're going back to those patterns that God called us to at the beginning, the same as the church. As the church. We're, we're called to be replicating and multiplying something of God's goodness into the world. And he's doing it starting with us. And so I'm going to call us to actually transition. But I want to say this, that in everything that we're going to be discussing this morning, at the heart of it is this idea that Christ Jesus came for one thing and for one thing only. He, he came to redress and reform and transform what we know and what we have experienced as family into something completely new into the family of God. He's not doing away with nuclear families as we know it, but he's renewing them so that they really represent who he is. He's not doing away with our extended families, but he's renewing those relationships. He's not doing away with kind of society and its complex networks, but he's actually renewing each and every one of them. And he's starting to do it with us. And from us, it's everything else.